Let's take the name of Jesus for a moment and give it the honor that it's worthy and due. How good is our King? How faithful is our Savior? How present is our God? You might not feel like he's close. Friends, I mean, he's as close as you want him to be. Jesus, we love you. We need you. We invite you here. Would you speak to us? At the people of Kingdom City Church, Lord, we're asking of you to show up in our situation. Show up in what we're walking through. We thank you that you are always faithful. Things might change around us, and you might change us, but you never change. You are the always faithful, ever-present God of all grace and all power that changes us. We love you, Lord, and we lean into your presence today in Jesus' name. A faith-filled church says amen. amen. Hey, can we welcome those online? And the men of Lansing Correctional, we love you guys so much. You guys can grab your seats. We are going to jump into the Word of God today. Um, we're in Psalms, as we've been reading through the Bible, we've been preaching through the Bible. And then we're in the book of Corinthians, Psalms and Corinthians. How many have read every Psalm? Five of us, great. You've got 100 done, you've got 50 more or less. And 1 Corinthians, I'm, I'm going to use this really to just set the table for what we're going to talk about today thematically. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul is talking about the two worldviews in his world. He's got the, the outsiders, the Gentiles, and the people he comes from, the Jewish people, the Hebrew people. Uh, and he says this, that Jews, Jews are looking for miracles. They demand miracles. And Greeks go in search of wisdom. In other words, they want knowledge. But we, while we just keep proclaiming Christ, who's been crucified. He says, to the Jews, it's a stumbling block. And to the Gentiles or the Greek world, it seems foolish. But we just say, it's got to be Jesus in the middle. The Jesus, the centrality of Christ is the priority of our life. Now, I, I believe that Jesus is the, the wisdom of God. In fact, 1 Corinthians 1, it's like the world's way is foolish. God's way is wisdom. I think Jesus, who created the whole world, he has all the power, all the miracles you could ever even dream, hope for, or imagine. But he says it really is about coming back to the center of it all. Then in the middle of it, we just keep going after Jesus. Coming back to Jesus. I want to speak today about Jesus in the middle. Jesus in the middle of your mess. Jesus in the middle of your life. When Jesus is in the middle, things, the God things begin to happen. And he's with you and he's for you. When you get back, if you get off anything in your life that's out of alignment, it's probably because Jesus isn't at the center of it all. So we've already prayed, but let's do it again. So the keyboard player knows when to step off. Sometimes I jump the gun. Lord, we love you. We thank you that we're bringing you back into the center of all that we are. I don't know the circumstance or situations represented in this room, those that are watching. I just know the ever faithful God is right there. Anywhere we've gotten out of alignment, where you haven't been first, you haven't been in the middle, you haven't, we haven't brought you in. But right now we're just making a collective decision as a family of faith for every individual story that you, Jesus, get to be on the main stage. You get to be in the middle. So we invite you in, not in the ancillary place, but in the heart of this moment and in the heart of our life. We're not leaning on our own understanding, but in everything we have, we're trusting in you, Jesus, in the center of it all. Would you do something new in us and through us today? In Jesus' mighty name, amen? Amen. We all know what a come to Jesus meeting means. Even it's in our dictionary. Like Miriam Webster says, a come to Jesus is a moment of sudden realization 
comprehension or recognition that often, uh, it often uh, precipitates a major change. In other words, when you have a come to Jesus meeting with someone, it's because you're thinking things are going this way and I want them to go this way. It's a setup for a heart check that you would be willing to make a, a big change. Anytime we bring Jesus into the equation, he's not just there for us to feel good about our spirituality. He's there to align us with God's plan and God's purpose and ultimately God's power. That when we bring him back to the middle, it is the beginning move that we make that he gets center place before we see the significant thing or the next move of what God wants to do through our lives. And I think any of us, we would all want, we would all want change. How many want change in your life? Come on, January 1 is a long ways away. How many know that I still want some of the changes I was believing for that I haven't seen yet? And so before you get to a major change, you might need to have a come to Jesus, a come to Jesus moment. When I think about major change and new things that God is doing, and I believe God is doing absolutely something new in Kingdom City. Uh, when I think about something that he wants to do, I think about the, the prophetic declaration from the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 43. If you know church at all, you know this verse. It's like, behold, I'm doing a new thing. Can you not see it? Can you sense it? That from the dry desert places, there's new living water. From the broken wandering roads in the wilderness, I'm giving you a straight path. But it's interesting in that passage in Isaiah, before you can get to the new things, there's some difficult things you might have to go through. So what it says in verse two of the same passage, it says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Notice it says when. It doesn't say if. To be a believer in 2023, you will face some fires. To stand for Jesus in a corrupted culture, you're going to face some raging rivers. To say Jesus is the center of my life, you will probably have some struggles. So to get to the new thing, there's some now things that you're going to have to walk through. And I want to speak to those in the room. Maybe you're in a flooded season. Maybe you're in a storm season. Maybe you feel like the temperature is rising, not just hourly. By the way, thank God for the air conditioning in this room. What in the world is happening? But when the temperature begins to rise, it doesn't push you away from God wondering where he's at, but that you would bring him back to the center of all that you are. And if you're walking through some things right now, I believe it's probably because God is trying to do something new in you. And if you can come back to Jesus at the middle, the centrality of Christ, I think you can experience Jesus at his, at his best. So I don't know what you're walking through, but I do know this, that every fire, every storm, every struggle, Jesus is not absent. Even in the ones of your own creating, he is present. Sometimes obedience to God gets you into problems on earth. Has anyone ever experienced that? How many know that saying yes to Jesus as king over your life automatically means you're going to be at odds with some of the things going on in culture and the world around us? We see this in the fire, faithfulness of our God. We see it in the Old Testament. You, you probably know the story of the three Hebrew boys, young leaders. 
They refused to bow to King Nebuchadnezzar's idol. They said, we're honoring God, not man. And they get thrown in the fire because they wouldn't bow to culture. And yet, in the fire, who shows up? There's Jesus. There's Jesus. One of the beautiful moments in the Old Testament where we see the Jesus showing up. This Christology moment is powerful. Daniel chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar, that's the king. He asks, didn't we just throw three into the fire? A fire so hot that when they even opened the doors, the guards died? But he says, look right now, uh, I see four men there now. There's four walking in the fire. They're untied and they're unharmed and they're in the middle of the fire. And the appearance of the fourth one, he resembles the son of of God. In other words, there, it's a divine thing that is happening in the middle of the furnace. Someone else shows up. Their Savior met them there, protected them. I don't know, the, 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 the ropes burned off, but they didn't, they didn't burn. And ultimately, here's what happens. Because they obeyed and got themselves in a problem because of their obedience. There was a war in the culture, and they refused to bow to the corruption in the world. They stood up for the things of God and they found themselves by their faith getting into a fire. But what they found in the fire wasn't that God was just faithful in the, the legacy of their life as martyrs. No, that God came and miraculously met with them and delivered them. And ultimately, if you read the rest of the passage, on the other side of the furnace is that Nebuchadnezzar has his own come to Jesus meeting and proclaims God as the one true God. In other words, there was promotion even in the moment that felt like pain. Jesus showed up in the middle and didn't take them out of the fire, which sometimes he does not deliver you from every storm. But he will find you in it. He will steady you through it. He will deliver you in it. And ultimately, I believe he promotes you through it. So in the middle of your mess, what can you expect? When Jesus comes back to the middle, he will meet with you, listen, personally. These Hebrew boys, they knew all about God. They studied the scripture they, they, they could recite the prayers. They prayed. They did it faithfully, privately, and ultimately we know publicly. But they had never met God. And yet in their obedience, it put them into the furnace. They come face to face with this fourth man, this one true king. They meet Jesus in the fire. Do you know that any time you may be going through a struggle, even as a believer, listen, it is an opportunity for you to have a deeper relationship with your God. It's a place where you get to personally meet your Savior. And anytime God chooses to move you into the new, into the more that God has for you, anytime you stand up for God, anytime you choose to live a bigger life, that he's going to be the center of your marriage and the center of the raising of your kids and in the center of your career or even your money, you usually find yourself in the middle of a problem. Because here's why. The enemy does not know the plans that God has for you. But he knows the kind of people that have the right kind of priorities that God promotes. Come on, that's some good alliteration right there. He knows the kind of person that puts Jesus at the center and what that leads to in the rest of their life. So when you come against some storms, fires, and some waves, the resistance is real because the reward is something special. So you can reframe the problem that you're in, even if it's of your own creating, that it's actually an opportunity to get closer to God, to know him personally. Because sometimes you really don't know that Jesus is all that you need until Jesus is all that you have. 
They had nothing less to stand on in the fire, and that's where he showed up with power. And maybe you feel like there's a transition season for you between the, the now and the new. Maybe you're in a bit of a fiery furnace or just a storm that seems unsettling. God might not take you out of the fire, but in your most dire situations, I think the most divine things can appear in your life. Because listen, Jesus has promised to never leave you. So if he feels distant right now, it is not him that has walked away. There's probably a place in your life where you've got your priorities misaligned and it's time to come back to Jesus, who is our everything, gets to be in the middle of all things concerning us. I remember years ago, at my son's birthday, uh, someone got him this really nice gift, expensive gift. It was, uh, it was like one of those STEM projects, you know what I'm talking about? It was like a science gift. It was to make this cardboard robot apparatus with all these bungees and connecting pieces. And it was awesome. He thought it was so cool. The problem was he was like five or six at the time and it was made for 12 plus. So what does that plus mean? That means that dad has to do it. So as dad was working on this, I'm about 90 minutes in and I finished what I thought was a main part of it. And then I flip over the book and I see part one of eight. And immediately I kicked this person out of the church. I'm just kidding. (laughs) But I loved it because as we were building it, he was there with me. It was awesome. I mean, what dad does not love time with his son and and with your kids and, and you're working on a project? Now, I loved having him close in proximity, but the truth is, he couldn't help at all. Even though his little hands could probably put some of the things better together than mine, he didn't know what he was doing. He was outclassed. Do you know that God isn't just around? God isn't just around in presence. That when you know him personally and you invite him in closely, when he's at the center of everything, he's not just around, he can actually bring solution to the situation. That he has the power to actually help Like when your car breaks down, your friend that was riding shotgun and then picking the music, you don't need new music. You need some muscle. You need him to push that car with you. You need some jumper cables. You need some power to get that thing working. God is not just riding shotgun in your struggle. He actually not only shows up personally to meet with you, I think in the middle of what you're going with, Jesus will actually help you powerfully. This is where I want you to change your mindset. This is where we switch from just being, and this is a beautiful word, just being faithful to follow God to being faith-filled in our following God. There's a difference. I want both. God wants both from you. Faithfulness is beautiful, but also have the kind of faith that believes that when God gets involved, and by the way, he wants to get involved, that situations begin to change. At the minimum, he begins to change you by his power and by his grace. Not only does God show up personally when you invite him into the middle, when Jesus is in the middle, but he also shows up, shows up powerfully. How many know you don't want to pray to God and you get back from him? Um, you're in my thoughts. I'm sending good vibes to you. Anybody ever get that prayer from someone? It's like, I don't need your vibes. And I don't need your thoughts. I need some help. You are in God's thoughts. And you are the apple of his eye. You have his attention. He proved it at the cross. And he is not weak. He is strong. And when he's at the middle of your mess, and at the middle of your struggle, at the middle of your unfulfilled dream, at the middle of a relationship that feels like it's broken, not only does he come personally to reveal more of who he is to you, 
to get to know him intimately, he shows up significantly with power to change the situation. Uh, a while back, I was locked out of my online banking. Have you ever had this? And they give you all these, you have to answer all these questions that someday you had filled out about your life, like security questions. Now, the problem was I've had this bank account for like 20 years. So in like the year 2001, these answers were fresh on my mind. But two decades later, I couldn't get it. I didn't know anything about myself. I have lost my identity in Christ. It was a joke. It was horrible. And so I'm on the phone. And they're like, your wait time is 47 years. So I'm like, great. This is what I wanted to do with my day. So he said, you know what? I'm going old school. I'm going to go down to the brick and mortar bank. I went in there, I waited, felt like 47 years again, and finally they came up and said, hey, hey, I'm locked out, I don't know the answer to the security question, uh, everything I've tried hasn't worked, and they're like, oh yeah, we're sorry about that. Here, let me give you this. What did they give me? The URL I was already on and the phone number I already called. <laughs> Tell me you haven't been there before. And as I walked out, she said, I'm glad we could help you today. I was like, redeem my life, Lord, guard my mouth. <laughs> Guard my heart. I'm not here picking on this bank. I won't name the bank. It's, it's a national bank, maybe named after our nation. Um, it's a very American bank. They were present, and I know they could have helped, but they didn't. They sent me on another wild goose chase. God might take you on a journey, might strip some things away, might realign your priorities, might ask you to give some things over to him so he can be first, but he will not take you on a journey that leaves you in a dead end. He will not lock you out of the calling that you're called to step in to. And so we know that we already have his presence and wherever his presence goes, we also has his, has his power. He's in the middle of every season, even the struggle seasons. I think in Mark chapter six, it's a story uh, of Jesus walking on the water. I think it's Luke's gospel where, where, where Peter joins him, but in Mark's gospel, it says that Jesus sent them to the other side. John the Baptist, his cousin, had just been beheaded, and Jesus is grieving, and Jesus is working some things out. He needed some time, just him and God, and so he's in the wilderness. He sends them ahead to the other side of the lake, and, and all of a sudden, they face a storm, and it says this in, in, in Mark 6, verse 47. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on land, and he saw the disciples, and they're straining at the oars. Because the wind was against him. And shortly before dawn, he went to them walking on the lake. And he was about to pass them by. But then they saw him walking on the lake and they, they cried out, Jesus, is that you? Come and get us. Come and save us. Stop this storm. And we know the story that, that Jesus gets in the boat and one word from Jesus. This is how powerful he is when he's present in your boat. He can speak one word and storm silence. Storm stuff. He can speak one word to your heart and the situation doesn't change, but you change. You got something to grab a hold of, something to anchor your heart and soul to, to give you hope again. All you might need some days is just one word that can bring peace. But he cries out. But Jesus didn't show up prior to the storm. In fact, he sent them in the direction where I believe he knew that the storm would come. 
The storm was actually a setup, not to get them into a place of struggle, not to punish them or to scold them, but he used the storm as a platform to come closer to them, not necessarily even in proximity, but in revelation of his power. That they would know that even at his voice, the sound of his voice, that the storms have to settle. And then they cried out. They cried out, and he came to them at their request. But they were straining in their own ability. But the moment they get closer to Jesus, when they see that Jesus, they surrender and say, we've got to have you. I wonder how many of us are still straining in our own ability, still pushing up against the resistance, when all God is really wanting us to do is just to cry out and sacrifice and surrender and say, Jesus, we've got to have you. And normally we wait to the very end when we've got nothing left, but do you know that your relationship, when Jesus is at the middle, that you not only have his presence, but you have his power, and all it requires is you to quit using your own ability and first and foremost cry out for his divine empowerment to show up. Where are you struggling right now because you were still straining and not surrendering? Any part of your life where Jesus isn't center is out of alignment. If your marriage is off, get Jesus back in. If your career is faltering, maybe your finances, is Jesus Lord over that area of your life? If the raising of your kids, if it's becoming so difficult, hey, is, is it something you're straining for? Or have you learned the power of Jesus at the middle by living a life that surrenders? And the powerful thing that he does more often than not is that in these in-between seasons, between storm and being set free, between furnace and freedom, between storm and settled, these in-between seasons, he does some of his, his most powerful work. Don't miss the beauty of the in-between. Apostle Paul understood this. Philippians 3, a, a well-known passage, speaking to the church in Philippi, he says, hey, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have gotten it all. I haven't taken a hold of it yet. But the one thing I do is I am forgetting what is behind. And this is the right kind of straining. And I'm pressing in to my potential. I'm leaning in to what is ahead. Between the past and the future, I'm choosing right now to press in because I just believe is all that God has done through me, I still think he's got more. That's just a word to those who have been following Jesus for a decade or more. That you, are, If you're settled in your season, I would encourage you, you might need to step in and strain a little bit more. There's still something significant in moving forward on the mission of Jesus. Because if Paul was in the middle ground, by the time he had wrote this, he'd already raised up Timothy as a world-changing young leader. He'd already written Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. He already planted churches and seen God do miracles. And he says, hey, guess what? I've not arrived. How many see that mature believers as a challenge that there might actually be more for us in this mission of Jesus working through us for the world around us that we don't settle back and be like, okay, I'm finally, I got some stuff done for God. God's been good to me. It's like, no, I, you know what? Forget all that. God, what do you want to do now? Oh, I feel like God is looking for a generation that is not based upon age or when you were born, but based upon those that have been born again and want to change this age and this season to quit setting back for yesterday's sacrifice and saying, Jesus, you get to go first again. I'm re-upping in my commitment to lean in. Even in strain, I'm pushing forward to the prize that awaits. Because the truth is God has left you in the middle on purpose. Why? Jesus has a mission in the middle. Why? Because Jesus has a church in the middle. 
Because Jesus has you in the middle of your neighborhood, of your family, of your workplace. Jesus has put you in the middle of your university or your classroom or, or your boardroom. Jesus has put you in the middle. And so this is why we learn to put him in a place of priority because there's things that are on God's heart for us to do, not just for him to do for us, but for us to do for his glory in the middle of where we're at right now. Guys, we have the most divided nation since the Civil War. And the culture out there would say, if you're pro this, you have to be anti that. And if you believe anything that looks like truth, you're a bigot towards everybody else. And there's really no, there's no, nothing that you could say is true anymore. But we know that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. That Jesus, Apostle Paul would encourage us to not go argue with other people what he would call disputable matters. But this one thing that we know that is paramount truth in our life is that people need Jesus because they're meant to know God. And so if we can get out of all of the fighting and the frustration and just keep Jesus at the middle, a life that looks like Jesus, a life that loves like Jesus, a life that speaks truth like Jesus, that we can find that there's a mission right here in the middle that is worth giving all of your life for, to live for something that's bigger than yourself. There's a church in the middle. I love how the message paraphrase says this in Ephesians 1. The church you see is not peripheral to the world. We're not outsiders. We're in it. The world is peripheral to the church. So don't run away and say, okay, we're going to only listen to horrible Christian music. I'm just kidding. We're not trying to run away from culture, but we're not trying to live like culture. We're trying to build kingdom culture where we put Jesus at the middle. And here we are, not of this world, but we're still right in the middle of it to make a difference that matters for when we're even not even here anymore. He says, this church is Christ's body, which he speaks and acts, and by which he fills everything, listen, with his presence. If what his presence is, when he's priority, when he's in the middle of everything. What does he bring? He brings that personal relationship. He brings that power and he gives you a, a mission right in the middle. So we don't run away from the world. In fact, we can be friends of sinners, but we're not just finding our feels from that friendship. We have a singular track motive, just like we will this Saturday and next Sunday when we invite the hurting in our community to come and experience a little bit of hope through our outreach. We are thinking about souls. And the shoes we're giving away and the food that we give and the hospitality that we share is also that it would know the hope that we have found in Jesus Christ. There is a mission for us in the middle of this messed up world. So this is where his presence and his purpose shows up. And we're willing to lay down preference because of our potential. If you're not involved in church, go to Next Steps today. When groups start up, show up, start up soon, get in a group. Let's not let this be on the outside of our life the place where we show up on a Sunday to get a little spiritual pep talk. Now, this is where we get galvanized in our faith. This is where we get united as a body fitly joined together. Why? Because we represent Jesus to this world. Then in the middle of this, in fact, in your humanities class in college, if you look, ancient civilizations, even to this day in far off nations like if you go from the fields where they harvested and you get the housing and from there you get the business hub and market, but in the middle of it all was where the synagogue was. It's where the church was. It's where the place of worship. They would literally build the whole city around that place where God would speak. 
And so I would say in your life, if you're just dipping your toe into church, I would tell you, you're missing the whole mission of Jesus for your life. And it's not about just coming here. It's about bringing Jesus to the world around us. And this is where we get focused for the faith-filled future that God has for Kingdom City and God has for your life. God has left you in the middle on purpose. I think about this story, Moses' day. In number 16, this couple families that really man, corrupted some things. And, and man, the, the earth opens up and swallows them. And the fire breaks out. I and mean, we're talking about some real Old Testament stuff in the Old Testament. And, and, then, and then this plague breaks out. And then Aaron, Moses is saying, Aaron, go get, the, go get the incense on the altar. And then wherever he went, he carried that presence. It was that sweet aroma uh, worship thing unto God. And wherever he went, the plague stopped. It literally says he stood there between the living and the dead. And this is where I want to ignite your faith for the future of seeing kingdom come and revival in Kansas City, that when we're carriers of the presence of God, we also have the power of God and we have a purpose from heaven. This is why we're on a mission in the middle of America and where we stand is between the living and the dead, between the lost and the found, between the broken and the restored, between the, 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 the cancer of our society and the culture of Christ, that we stand we stand in the middle. God has left you here on purpose, so hold your position. Old Testament story about, about an unflattering, unspectacular place with a significant calling. It's one of David's mighty men in 2 Samuel 21. This guy's name is Shama. And it says that, that when the enemy got together and came after them, it says this, verse 11, when the Philistines banded together at a place where it was a, full, a field full of lentils. In other words, it's a bean field. Israel's troops, everyone else fled, looking out for themselves. But Shammah stood his ground. He took his stand, what, in the middle of the field. It didn't matter to anybody else. They were just thinking about themselves. But he says, no, this is where my commander and chief has asked me to hold ground. And so it might be ordinary to everyone else, but this is my mission. These are... These is my beans. I'm holding this thing down. And it says it's, I think it was supernatural. He defended it. He struck the enemy down. This is why I think it's supernatural. It says, and the Lord brought a great victory. What do you feel like in your life is just ordinary? Your job tomorrow. It's not really where we want to be. You're looking for a promotion. You're searching for some other career changes. The raising of your kids, man, school starts up again. I've got another year of this. You say, here we go, back in the routine. But it feels ordinary. Do you know that it still has an extraordinary purpose? That God actually does some of his greatest work and greatest miracles and things we would call ordinary? And he refused to run, and he stood and defended what God had promised to give his people, and he got a, ma a major victory where God gets all the glory. But God still, though he gets the glory, though he brought the victory, needed at least one person to stand. And what are you standing for? Where's God positioned you? That everyone else thinks it's ordinary, not worth fighting for, but this is your place. Do you know what Shama's name means? It means I'll be there. God is just looking for some people, maybe unspectacular by the world's judgment system, but it isn't about your power or ability anyways. It isn't about your education or your gifting. It's not about your pedigree or your family of origin. It's about what is your heavenly father asked of you. And if you can say, I got a little shaman in me, if 
God says go, I'll be there. Do you know that's actually one of the names of God, Jehovah Shammah, the God that's there. And I think to tell you, really take your stand and your place and purpose of calling and says, God, I'll be there. You might not be able to experience that facet of the faithfulness of your heavenly father who says, I'll be there with you. And if you'll stand, I'll bring a victory. What might feel like an ordinary place is actually your battleground for greater victory for the kingdom of God and ultimately the fulfillment of your calling and your purpose. Ordinary places have an extraordinary purpose. There's a miracle for you, even in the middle of your mistakes. You might have caused the storms. You might have caused some of the fires. And God will not only deliver you through them, he will change you, restore you, redeem you in the process. You know, if you want savings, you know, in buying something, you try to what? Cut out the middleman. You know, right? Get, out, get rid of the middleman. Go right to the source. But do you know that Jesus, Jesus is the middleman. Uh, he's the mediator. Just like Aaron was the representation between heaven and the Hebrew people in the passage we just looked at, God sent Jesus as the middleman for all of us to fix the mess of humanity He sent his one and only. He sent Jesus, the great high priest. Now we have access granted to all of heaven, to the voice of God, for our voice to get to God's ear and God's heart. Because why? We had this middleman. He's the ultimate go-between. I love this. In John 19, they crucified Jesus. And there were two other men, these these rebels, these, these thieves, one on either side, and there it is, and Jesus in between. That he's right in the middle. And I love that on his worst day, there was also these other two men's worst day. In his greatest storm, he actually has conversation with people. Why? Because he cares about people. Like we say here, people of the promised land. Like he, 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 he had conversation. One of them mocked him. One of them ridiculed him. We see that in Luke's gospel. It tells us one of them was defiant. And the other one just said, I, I feel like there's something real here. Will you remember me? Will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? In other words, when you restore all things, would I be there with you? And Jesus says, today, today, today is that day of salvation. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Now, that one man had no other opportunity to make his life count. He had probably failed. On every every bit of the spectrum, he, he, he finds himself crucified on a cross but it isn't all for nothing because why? He meets Jesus there. But this is where I want you to understand if God just wanted a relationship with you, which he does, the moment of your surrender and salvation, he would have brought you into eternity, but he's left you in the middle on purpose. One day, yes, when you give your heart to Jesus, maybe for you, you did it 10 years ago, 30 years ago, maybe some of you are gonna do it in a few minutes. Like, that is a forever decision that is ever settled, that you're taking Jesus' payment for all your sin accounts and all your shame, and that he is your middleman. And so you get to have forever in eternity with God the Father in the place of perfection. But he doesn't just take us for eternity for relationship's sake. He leaves us here on purpose. Why? Because there's more that he wants to do through us for the people around us. And this is where we get to answer a prayer that's on God's heart. 
when we don't just take our salvation for granted, but we realize we could not do this apart from Jesus. And because we've received new life from him, we now lay down our life for him. And now we're willing to be in the mission right here on the middle for something that matters for all of eternity. So through us, his people, he is perfecting us, but we're far from perfect. He is growing us, but there's so much more. But as we do this thing in unity with him, in unity with each other, the redemptive work, we can call it revival, happens in the world around us. And as we're coming to the close of summer and into the beginning of fall, as God is doing a restoration work even in our church, I would encourage you that as Jesus is at the center of everything, to take an account of every area of your life and see if there isn't a place where if he isn't first and foremost, that what do you need to get out of the way to put him in the place of priority? If he's not in the middle, then everything is gonna be messed up. But as people that have been saved and are being redeemed so that we can see others saved and see others redeemed, that we would know that when he's in the middle, he has empowered us by his presence to fill this whole city with the essence of Jesus. And from that place, friends, the middle of your ordinary, your everyday life, as we bring that to God and put it on the altar, he will do something miraculous in you. He will do something miraculous through you. There is more for your life. There is more for our church. And let today be the day of decision that if anything is out of alignment, that he gets to go first in every single area. In the storm you're in, bring Jesus in the middle. He might not stop at all, but he'll change you. In the problem you're facing, bring Jesus in the middle. He might not make it perfect in a moment, but his power will show up. In your life that's looking for purpose and you're searching in all the wrong places, if you will put him back in the middle of your priority, you'll find that the purpose in your ordinary is so much more extraordinary than you could ever hope, dream, or imagine. There's more for us. There is more for you. We just stand at your feet. I want to pray for you. I hope that God challenges you today. I hope the Holy Spirit speaks to you. I hope that you don't just get encouraged in a moment and leave here and forget about it, but you go from this place and you even wrestle with God and say, God, here's my heart. Here's my life. Where are you not first? Where is Jesus not at the center of it all? Because I don't want to build my life with him around it. I want him to be the foundation of all that I've called to do and who I'm called to become. If you're here right now, let's just pray this prayer with our heads up, eyes open. It's a prayer of humility. Listen, if you're here and you're in a storm, you're in a fire, you're in a stuck place, you're in a difficult place, would you just raise your hand? Church, we're gonna pray for you. Come on, look at the hands up. I love it, I love it, I love it. If you got someone near you, just stretch your arm towards them. Maybe that's you online or at Lansing. We're praying for you. Father God, I thank you. Every lifted hand is a signal cry for God's help. They're asking you to get in the middle of a situation. I don't know the situation, God, but you know all of them. In fact, you knew it from the beginning of time. You knew where they would need your help and when was their time of humility that would open up an avenue of your grace. So God, I thank you for whatever they're facing, as great as the odds might be stacked against them, there's a greater grace of victory for them. 
that they would know that you're with them. Not just present in feel, but present in force, in power, in ability. That you would speak direction where they're confused. You would bring clarity where there's been chaos. You would bring help and hope where there's been hurt and heartache. Lord, I thank you. You would make a way through the storm. Or you would settle it in a moment. You would seize the fire. Or you would set them free in the fire. I thank you that we do not walk through this life alone. That there's another one that shows up. Jesus, our ever-present help in time of need. Jesus, our hero. Jesus, our victory. And Jesus, would you set them free? Would you strengthen them? Would you rescue them? No matter the situation, even the storms of their own creating are settled at the sound of your voice. So peace be still, Kingdom City Church. What you have been facing in the fires, God is restoring and renewing you through. Jesus is about ready to show up with power and authority to not just say, change the situation. He's going to change you. So freedom is yours in Jesus' name. Victory is yours in Jesus' name. Kingdom momentum is your calling in Jesus' name. And if you believe that and agree with that, can we give Jesus some praise for a moment? Let's glorify our God. Victory is coming to this house, to this family, in the name of Jesus. Now a moment of surrender. One last prayer. Bow your heads real quick. Just give person space. If you're here and Jesus isn't first, listen, I've talked about it all day. If he isn't priority, maybe you've never said yes to Jesus. And friend, you don't have a relationship with God. You might know about him. Maybe you know some Bible stories, but you know him personally by saying yes to Jesus. He brings forgiveness. He settles your accounts. He gives you a brand new start. If that is you, with no one looking around, or maybe you said yes a long time ago and you've just gone your own way. It's time to come back home. If that's you, we're gonna pray a prayer all together as one family of faith. This is that salvation moment. Just like the thief on the cross, we're gonna have the opportunity for the forever connection with God. It starts right here, right now. If that is you, do not miss the most important decision of all of eternity. If that's you, and don't look around and say, I need Jesus in first place. I need to give my heart to him. Would you just raise your hand, friend? There's one, there's two, there's three, there's four, there's five, there's six, there's seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13 plus people in the house, 14. That's awesome, that's awesome. Maybe that's you online. Can we pray this prayer? Come on, we can go heads up, eyes open. We got a face-to-face God. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe you love me. You love me so much that you sent your son Jesus to die in my place. He took my sin my struggles, my shame, and they're dead and gone. But he is alive. He overcame the grave. And that overcomer lives in me. From this day on, I'm not looking back. I'm going forward. Give me a plan. Let me live out your purpose. Let me fulfill my potential. In the name of Jesus. Amen? Come on, church, let's celebrate.